0: It's another edition of Baseball and Beyond, and it's my friend, first and foremost, Rick Horton, the former Cardinal
1: lefty. Thank you for helping me out with the podcast. Brad, always good to be with you. You and I go way back, my friend, talking baseball, talking... Uh, all kinds of things, but it's good to be with you. Yeah,
0: I'm worried you're going to be overexposed. This might be the this might be the thing that puts you over the top. But I did want to ask you: you are doing uh, 81 road games, and you're doing the uh, for the radio, and then the TV. You, you really are doing
1: more games. How's it been to do uh, probably the most games of your career? Right? Yeah, I'd say the most games. It's it's been an interesting balance, um, and I like to go in the back and forth. Probably that's what makes it fresh. You know, I go on the road and. I'm um, doing radio. It's a different, different gig. Really different pacing, different timing. And I come back and do pre and post and, uh, and and some games at home on TV. It's it's it just changes enough, I think, to make it interesting. And you know, I, I think it helps uh, from the point of view of. You know, Obviously, I'm in the opinion-giving business and analyzing, and, and I feel like it's a fresh which audience. Which you know. don't mind sharing. No, it's part of, the <laughs> day, part of the deal. I've been doing it since I was two years old, so I, I'm not stopping. But, but I think the, the, the fact that it's a different audience actually energizes me a little bit. And it's not really a different audience. It just feels like it. It may be, it, in some senses, it is. But uh, you know, it's also a different way to communicate it, whether I'm doing it through picture or words.
0: Yeah, it's been fun to watch you rise, because you started on post-games on Channel 5, and then 11, and then Fox. So, But I'm a big fan of Ricky Horton stories. You do spin a yarn like no one I know, and my first favorite one is the day you get called up. I think this is a great story. I don't know how often you've told it, but uh, for our podcast audience... Tell us a little bit about that day uh, the first time you get the the uh,
1: the call from Whitey Well, the first time I got the call it 's the thing that uh, every player is dreaming about again since the age of two probably you know my, my mom actually wrote in my baby book that I was going to be a ball player when I was two years old, and there 's something about I always had a bat in my hand I always had a ball i didn 't swing the bat very well, but uh, clearly, uh, if you look at my big league numbers there but it was a it 's a heart thing it 's a dream thing and here 's my moment where i 'm going to be a big league player or not. I was told. Uh, The last day of spring training, that if I pitched well, I'd make the team, uh, and if I didn't, I wouldn't. Uh, Hal Lanier told me that, our our third base coach, and he also said the same thing to another left-handed pitcher, and we both pitched that day, and we both pitched well, so it was unclear. So... The spring training's over, and I'm trying to figure out whether or not I've made the team or not, and it's not self-evident. I can't figure it out. People are leaving. People are... Spring training is breaking, and I'm standing at my locker confused. And so Andy Van Slyke is a good friend from the minor league time, and he said, well, if you don't know what's going on, go, go talk to Whitey. And so I went in, knocked out. The way you've told me this before, which makes me laugh even more. Just go talk to the rat. Go talk to the rat. Yeah, and, and I said, and at the time I was not used to calling my boss the rat. Exactly. So, so. And
0: Ozzie calling him Whitey also has got some it, weird it, connotations. To be honest, it really, really uh, awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, not my no, story, but I'm
1: interjecting it, it, to. Me. No, but th- that's good. Color. I learned from you. That's <laughs> good color. I, I appreciate that. So, 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 my favorite part of the story, beyond those things, although those things are certainly interesting. I didn't. I did not call him the rat that day. It took me about five years, but to be comfortable enough to call him the rat. But I knocked on. The door because I want to know if I'm a big leaguer. This is my moment, and yeah, yeah, come on in. That's why he can only say it. And I walk into his manager's office in Al Lang Stadium in, in St. Pete, Florida, and he's standing there. He just turned around the corner, he'd just come out of the shower. He had a towel in one hand and he was cleaning out his ear with it, and he had not a stitch of clothing on. He said, Yeah, 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 what do you want? And So I ask him the question. i had been this dream moment of my, you know, well, did I make the team? He goes, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Good God. I said, Okay, thank you. Turned my head and just buzzed out of there as fast as I could. So, so I I call it my naked Whitey Herzog story because it's it's the dream again. That was maybe manifested in a way that I had not exactly imagined. So I mean, it was really a, a bizarre moment. And then I go out to tell my wife in the parking lot, and this is this was kind of important to me too to go out and t- share with my wife that 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 you know we were going to the, we were going to St. Louis, we we're going to be in the big league. She'd gone through some of the minor league life with me, and so I go out there. She's beaming from ear to ear, and I could tell she said, "Oh yeah, Dave LaPointe told me." <laughs> oh great! So Dave LaPointe tells my wife. Naked Whitey Herzog tells me, but. It was uh, still still good news nonetheless.
0: I will say this is a, a crazy thing that I just thought of. I've heard a few players tell me that they don't know. It's crazy that the you know this is all the player is thinking about, you know, that last day. And everyone knows who the last two guys are. But the manager doesn't really seem to comprehend that maybe we should tell uh, Jeremy Hazelbaker or we should tell John
1: Mabry, who told me the story about La Russa, not telling him. Well, communication is a hard thing because the, the decision is made with a lot of factors. and We always know there's contracts involved, there's the, you know, options and all that stuff at the management level, and then you kind of make the decision, then you figure out, okay, how do we let them know? Well, baseball's kind of an aloof game. People are spread out, and where are they? And so in spring training, when you get rele- released, the common way to do that on the bad news part is you wait till everybody goes out on the field, then you call them into the clubhouse by themselves, which I think makes a lot of sense. I actually had that job once when I was coaching with the Indians I had our, our minor league pitching coordinator told me and Rod Booker we had to go find a guy named Gadowski to release him. So he told both of us where we were standing, he said, well, we're going to release Gadowski, so you need to go get him. And I said, "We said, okay, well, we'll go get Godowski. So we're walking out to the field, and I told Rob, Rod Booker, I said, well, not Rod Booker, uh, Booker, I forgot, Greg Booker was his name, a former pitcher with the Padres. We were coaching together.
0: Rod and was a Cardinal. Rod
1: was a Cardinal, right, and Greg, both of them teammates of mine. But Greg, Greg said uh, – we got out towards the field, and I said, well, Greg, did you have him last year? And he said, no, oh, I never heard of him. And I said, well, I don't know him. He goes, well, where do you think he is? And I said, I don't know. So, so we're, guys are stretching. And, and he just said, well, I'm going to figure it out right now. He said, hey, where's Godowski? <laughs> and and, and this, guy, this guy timidly raises his hand, and we both have to go get the guy. So what was meant to be a very private release ended up to be a very public uh, thing for him that he's probably and, – and that's what we don't think about, too, how – critical that's a watershed moment in that guy's life and if you don't think about that as a coach and I think sometimes we miss that as fans frankly when a guy gets his first big league hit every time that happens Brad you've heard me say it on the air I talk about his high school coach, his dad, his mom, his aunts and his uncles that sat in lawn chairs and watched him play, Uh, his next-door neighbor that watched him grow up. And, I mean, that's a celebrated moment for a whole lot. Everybody he went to high school with and friends from college. I mean, it's a big deal for that guy beyond us just seeing the guy hit a base hit the other way.
0: Yeah, you, and you mentioned the Indians, and you mentioned the the basically having to release someone, and that makes me think of the movie Major League. And the, the the I've been very fortunate to be around the team and do some traveling and seeing that inner workings. But the more I was around, the more I realized Major League was pretty close to a lot of things that you had. You had crazy characters. I, I think a Serrano as Pedro Guerrero. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, what's I mean it's kind of the same thing and and you like he says like Jake Taylor says if you get a red tag you've been released and you go to, to, to the minor league it, it was
1: a pink slip for us but a red tag pink slip that's close enough and we did have Serrano when I played winter ball uh, there were two or three guys on our club that would have candles lit in their locker <laughs> with some odd looking statue in the middle of it and you know, one of the you know local guys, you know, guys would say, "Well, that's you know, voodoo. Stay away." I'm like, okay, I'll <laughs> stay. I will stay away from that. In fact, in Dominican, uh, one day I was coming in from the uh, from uh, batting practice, and I heard a noise, and I came in. I found out that that two of the guys had taken their guns and they were shooting against the wall. They were taking pistol practice against the clubhouse wall, uh, and I just went back out and worked out some more. I mean, it, it's just a different world. But the the the, char- the characters uh, characters in this game. Uh, They're not just caricatures. They're real. And I I think, frankly, Brad, I think some of the character uh, craziness that wasn't all good, frankly, but but was certainly there was very fun uh, as part of my experience. And people say that modern-day players have more fun because they flip their bat. Flipping your bat's not fun, and I'm not saying shooting against the wall is, is 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 the prescribed fun. But we had a blast playing baseball, and we did all kinds of fun things, and we had funny teammates, and you know it was just part of the deal. Mickey Mantle flipped his bat too. There's plenty of video of it. So they well, yeah, and well, but the idea is, I I think that's a that's an opinion that you've heard me talk about. But I think that there's people that are that are making this this debate about old people don't know how to have fun young people do that's not the right word that, it is not the right word because i can promise you that players today do not seem to have as much fun as players did 20 30 40 years ago again and why is that well, I mean, what well, it they're, because
0: they're they're very
1: cloistered it's more money they're very serious they're 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 more concerned about their fitness there's a lot of good reasons in it they sit in their locker with the headphones on and the mu- they don't it, it's just it's not as much fun and and uh, i mean they don't. They, they literally, they don't even exhibit joy on their faces when you're around them. If you walk into a big league clubhouse 30 years ago, I mean, it's just a big party, and it was looser, much looser than it is now. I think guys understand that the prize is so big that uh, they feel like they have to be more serious about how they approach the game. I think that's really the the, the core of it.
0: And I know it's not a, a slight on, on our manager and any manager, but. I just talked to Terry Pendleton and I asked the same question. He said it's the phone and it's the it's the way life is. I mean, kids are in there. That's those guys are kids. I mean, you know, Terry's almost sixty years old and
1: and um, that's what they do. Why would baseball really be any different than our society? I think sometimes we expect it to be, but you know, the the young kids playing baseball are just like the young kids that live next door to you or your nieces and nephews. And I mean, it's a it's a it's a social phenomenon that that we're dealing with as a country. And when you know it gets into the workplace, the, the, the problem with it becomes in any workplace is camaraderie is such an important piece. And so you have to have shared experiences. And if I'm sharing an experience with you, but that shared experience is you texting somebody different and me look, me Googling you know, the capital of uh, Nevada because I'm interested in it. I mean, we're not really, con- we're together, but we're not really connecting. And I think that's a social phenomenon that goes beyond baseball. But but where that's a problem in baseball is you've got guys that, you know, they're living with each other for six straight months, and you need to you need to trust each other, you need to connect, and you need to, um, you know, develop some kind of chemistry to win.
0: Let me ask you about some colorful characters. I mentioned Pedro Guerrero. I wrote his name down because I think he's crazy, right? I mean, tell me some can, great.
1: Can I, well, let me tell you, Pedro Guerrero. I threw one up and in on him one time. Uh, he was like, I don't know, five for nine or eight for twelve or. Ninety for a hundred against. Me. He he hit me hard. Let's put it that and way. you are not the only one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and 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 he's not the only one that hit me hard either. But oh, right. but, but Pedro was you know had that kind of mean scowl looking face, but kind of a, a gentle giant. Of course, one of the great stories about Pedro Guerrero is Todd Worrell throwing him into a locker after uh, after after a, after a little misunderstanding uh, as teammates and that's kind of a famous cardinal story. Those Sammy, two, those so, two so shows in, shows up in the cardinal locker room. Yeah, and Todd says he doesn't belong here and he says I don't care. He he's he's my teammate. He belongs here and Todd says he needs to go and, and it ends up with Todd throwing Guerrero into a locker and turning to Sammy Sosa, who had his eyes popping out of his head, and Todd said to him, "What are you looking at? You're next."
0: <laughs> so a tiny Sammy as well, and not yeah, the big tiny, one you know,
1: that was a pre-Sammy. <laughs> but Guerrero, one time I threw at him, and he, and he came up to me after the game. And he goes, "He goes, you know, he goes, you're you a good guy. We teammates in Dominican." He said, "I didn't think you were throwing at me. If I did, I'd have come and get you." And I said. Okay, <laughs> so I, I found out after the fact that I was almost charged by Pedro Guerrero on a pitch up and in uh, that uh, I'm kind of glad he didn't do that, frankly. So, uh, But but Guerrero, I, I, I believe, having played with Pete in St. Louis and uh, for Escogido in the Dominican, he was our third baseman, I do not believe I, I can remember a guy with better hands, maybe a better pure hitter than Pedro Guerrero. And that's odd to say that because you don't think of him in that – in that light, but I don't think he had the realized potential that he could have had, had he been in better shape and taking better care of himself. And, you know, that's, he, again, he's not the only one in that boat, still had a good career, but Pete, uh, I, I think just pure ability, I, I can't think of anybody that hit better than him.
0: We'll get back to that interview in a moment, but I want to tell you about the title sponsor of this program, Massa's Restaurants in St. Louis, five locations, There's one in Newtown and St. Charles and Baldwin, right off Manchester, Winghaven, right out there before I-70 and 40 come together. Town and country and Bridgeton, out by the airport, that's the old place. It's Italian fare, great entrees, big portions at affordable prices. The menu is different in each spot, but I can tell you that they've got red sauce pasta, white sauce pasta, they've got burgers st louis style pizzas the big owl special some people think i said owl like hoot hoot no 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 the big owl special i have it every time i go it's very good and that's usually like an appetizer no i'm kidding it's a very big big pizza delicious burgers they've got fish i'm looking at the menu right now on STLMasses.com. they've got salmon shrimp scampi how about the beef pepe that's my favorite I forget Everything's a favorite. Yeah, it's my Tuesday favorite. The sauce is unbelievable. STLMassas.com for menus, locations, directions. You know what? The bartenders, they're fun. Your waiters, waitresses, they're going to be fun. Actually, they're going to be a hoot. You're going to have so much fun. Speaking of owls, you're going to hoot hoot all the way home. Go there before. Have a drink at the bar. Enjoy your time. Sit at a booth. Sit at a big table. Bring your family. Bring your friends. It's Massas restaurants, five locations, they are the title sponsor of Baseball and Beyond. There's no baloney in the cannelloni. And I'll tell you what, you know, they're doing a great job being the host and host sponsor of the show. But you know what? There's more room. I can sit here and talk about Masses Restaurants or some tire company or maybe you have, you know, a mortgage company. Hey, anybody, come on, give me a, give me a shout. Let me know and I'll be uh, happy to plug your business like I do Masses Restaurants. Ask them. They've gotten so much business just from these first five or six podcasts from being the title sponsor, MassesRestaurants.com, but go ahead and contact me. You can contact me anyway at Facebook. You can contact me on Twitter, Brad Straubinger's the name. I'm your podcast friend. And also remember that I put out a little companion blog called bradsportspage.blogspot.com each time i put up a new podcast i put up a little blog with a little information about our guest and maybe some side videos some interesting little uh, sidebars as they call them in the post-dispatch STLMasses.com, our title sponsor tell them brad sent you maybe some extra t-ravs a little more red sauce and check out their Facebook page as well, M-A-S-S-A-S, Masses. Back to the interview we go. Thanks for listening. I grew up in the 80s, and I realized Bob Forsch won a lot of games, um, and I know he's in the Cardinal Hall of Fame, so Cardinal fans know what he did. But I think when I talk to former teammates of his. They just cannot tell enough great stories. But what I remember as a kid watching was game four against the Giants. Jeff, Jeffrey Leonard had hit four in a row in the NLCS and Bob Forge knocks him down and Mike Kruko from the Giants has already said that's what turned the series around. The fact that Bob Forge said I'm taking it upon myself and I'm going to drill Jeffrey Leonard. I know I, that's obviously just one story but Bob Forge I mean that was what he was. he that That he had no fear and he was
1: going to make a statement, and that's what happened that day. And I'm sure that happened, oh, God, a hundred times. Many times. And, and so it was a, It was an exhibition of his courage, his forethought, his leadership, his uh, sacrifice, his willingness to do it. And also he did it – I mean, if you're going to hit somebody in the ribs um, – Unobtrusively, he did that. It's not like he stared at him and yelled at him. I mean, he just just did it. You know, he don't. I'll just show you. I just did it, and that's it. And 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 he kind of moved on. And and I think professionals then understood that was part of the deal. And and you know, Bob. Multiple stories with Bob as a teammate, in uh, the leadership that he showed me, and the direction that he showed me. Most of it just by watching him. Um, I had the honor, and I'm not sure that's the right word, but because it, it was such a. a a horrible day, but I, I had I had the responsibility to to speak at his funeral and and introduce many of the many of the friends that he had in baseball and out and um, and we kind of collectively did a, a eulogy uh, for him after his passing that was so sudden and so you know I mean just ironic in a, in a lot of ways because it was right after the World Series and it just he literally threw out the first pitch for I believe it was game six of the World Series and, 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 and so it just it just happened too fast for Bob but I, I have great memories of him and and, uh, and uh, anybody that played with him knows him as the consummate professional.
0: We have a couple more minutes. I appreciate your time. Tell us a little bit of what that flight was like after 85 winning in L- L.A. We can talk about the one from Kansas City. Yeah. It was a short flight. But what, was it, is it was it crazy? Tell me everything
1: that goes on, or was it just well, very professional? Well, I would say that when, I, when we won when I was with the Dodgers, uh, that was 88, and when, when we won the World Series in 88, I had some wonderful moments, and I would say most of those moments were done in a combination of my wife Ann and I celebrating being world champions because uh, I felt uh, at some deep level that I'd Crashed a party at a really good time, and and I I hadn't been with them since spring training, and there's something different about that. And a date, you know, Mike Sosha was great to me, and and Oral Hershiser and I were buddies then, still buddies now, and and Dave Anderson and I were close, and John Tudor was there, another friend, and so there were plenty of guys that I knew, and Tim Cruz, who's passed, that I that I just really liked these guys and and connected with them, but. But but the effort that it took to get to where they were, I kind of just joined in on. I did have some games that were important, I think, in the playoffs. But but so when we when you celebrate in that context, it's a great celebration. But you kind of feel like you're at somebody else's graduation party, and you're just enjoying that with them. And so uh, but but at some level, when you're driving down the streets of uh, the main Broadway, I guess it's Broadway in downtown L.A., and it's a ticker tape parade, and I'm sitting right next to Oral Hershizer and, and my wife and, and he and his wife, and we're enjoying that. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable. And getting on a plane uh, not long after that and flying to the uh, – to the, to the White House with Mr. O'Malley in the back and talking to him about baseball and going to meet uh, the president at the time, uh, Ronald Reagan. I mean, pretty cool moments. So I remember meeting the president and Mrs. Reagan. I remember clearly, and I remember being on that plane going out to the, to, to the White House visit, and I remember being on that float. I remember oral pitching 56 innings in a row without giving up a run. I, I remember a lot of good things about it, but I still feel like I was a bit of an interloper
0: last one uh the eighty eighties rivalry with the Mets, and I just saw the thirty for thirty with strawberry and mm-hmm. gooden and it's really good and it's crazy to think what what I took out of it out of, out of being a cardinal fan is those guys were degenerates and the cardinals seem like choir boys like yeah. if you look at the rivalry and now you think about it they probably and it still kind of goes now where people hate the Cardinals because yeah. I think everyone thinks of the cardinals as this holier than now but I, I really enjoyed that Mets team. I mean, as a Cardinal fan, I shouldn't like that team, but boy, they were fun. And was it as was it? Am I am I kind of getting where well, I think I'm well, getting?
1: Well, I think I think that you know when when you're you might look at somebody who's a you know in any context, and this could be in a in a social system, in a, at work or in in school, and you look at somebody and say, oh, they're just goody two shoes. Are oh, they're just doing everything right? And in some ways, you kind of think, ah, uh, and then yeah, that bothers you. But you know, 40 years later, when they still love their wife and they have you know they they care about. Their their kids, and they and they pay their bills, and they show up at work. Then you kind of say, well, you know what? Maybe they, maybe those choices weren't so bad. And I and I'm not I'm not really denigrating the Mets because in fact, you know, I think about Strawberry and 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 Gooden and specifically. Strawberry, and I've not seen the 30 on 30. I'm dying to see it, and and I know I know some of the things that are in it, but uh, Strawberry. Um, and I connect connected back then. We still connect now. And he has certainly made great life changes. And he's you know he's serving people right now who have addictions. And he's been a minister throughout the world. And and is and is really trying to have a positive impact on on our world. And as for as for Doc, no no greater athlete at the age of nineteen that I've ever seen than Dwight Gooden. He was especially on the baseball field, unbelievable pitcher. With and I just have he's a sad figure to me because I love him too. I mean, if you if you're around Doc for five minutes, you love him, uh, and and I just always felt a, a a connection to him. And we had many many conversations over the years. And, and to follow his life and, and some of the places it's gone is, is sad for me. So you know I don't I can't really denigrate the Mets, but I certainly would want to say there's something to be said for 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 the. You know, people talk about the cardinal way. I mean, and I don't think it's necessarily a faith thing, but it's it's a to me it's a professionalism that is uh, supposed to permeate the organization. I think it does, and I think in the end, uh, it makes you prouder to be connected with some of the guys that uh, that wear the birds on the bat.
0: Yeah, and the last thing with that is the Mets did not win. They should have won a lot more. I mean, they won World
1: Championship. That that team should have won a lot more. No question. They had some great players, and you know, they had some good guys on that team too. Tim Tuffle and. You know, Gary Carter and the late Gary Carter is a good man. And, and you know, Mookie Wilson, love Mookie Wilson, too. And Keith Hernandez is, still, of course, still in the game. And, you know, they're really good player, really good team. uh it, You know, they just kind of couldn't put it together. Pitching, too, should have been uh, enough to carry them. But, you know, you still got to get it done. We have a lot more to talk about, so I think we're going to have to do this again, Rick. We will. You know we will. You know where to find me, Brad. We, we do this a
0: lot. I really appreciate appreciate Rick Horton joining me on Baseball and Beyond, and uh, you can subscribe on iTunes for more of these and follow me on Twitter at Brad Strabinger. Thanks to Rick Horton. Hope you uh, check us out again.